Hey, everybody, check this out. 630 feet versus 305 feet. That's the difference of the height of our beloved St. Louis Arch and the Statue of Liberty. We are 630, FYI. That's a big difference. Now, springtime is just around the corner, and soccer parents, Cardinal fans, and Forest Park visitors are all en route. We know you're coming. Check out explorestl.com to help put some guardrails on your trip with flair. Whether it's a James Beard award-winning restaurant or it's a hotel that used to be a YMCA that is now a museum right in the heart of everything, they've got you covered. So, again, explorestl.com, check it out. Today's episode, we've got Chris Allen. He just got the gig at Marquette University as the new women's head soccer coach. We take some time here and we chat everything from recruiting to Lord of the Flies and high school soccer. Couldn't... I, I couldn't help myself. So, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Hello. I'm going old school today on the intro. I'm also semi solo. I have my guest here. But my usual suspects. You guys know the two, J-Rod and Zachary. Uh, they've got like day jobs, hating their lives, shipping chocolate down Farty Far and talking to foreign sales reps in Salesforce world. And I'm up here at Mellow Mushroom with my guests drinking some uh, Urban Chestnut Zwickle, getting ready to talk soccer for about an hour, hour and a half or so. I'm leading us off here with a little... Uh, Violent Femmes in honor of uh, Milwaukee's own homegrown talent and which happens to be the location of uh, our guest next uh, permanent residency for his new gig. And if you've got a digital screen, you already know who the guest is. You can see it on the screen. So we'll get to him in just a second. Uh, Soccer Dad Pod's back. Uh, really appreciate everything you guys are doing to continue to listen, support the show. I got to be honest, uh, Chartable, which is kind of the podcast industry's uh, go-to to see where you stand, if you exist, see if anybody cares. Uh, we're killing it. We, uh, we're, stay- we're staying up near the top, thanks to all of you guys. A little bit of help of a like, follow, share, review uh, will help just kind of solidify that. And that helps us bring in other guests and do all that good stuff. And really, it's all about our egos. So keep that in mind. Um, Thank you. I'm just going to leave it at that. A couple quick thank yous to uh, people, places, orgs that support the show. Uh, Shelly and P and Locker and all the crew over at The Ambush. Uh, Really love everything you guys are doing. Um, And if you are, again, we're still in that shite weather season. Uh, Head out to Family Arena. Get your tickets. Uh, super affordable, ice cold beers, super fast action on the field. Go check out some indoor soccer, Ambush. Uh, go to the website, go to any of their socials, they'll take care of you. Got Chris, Bill, and Pete over at thepinnacleloans.com. Um, your, your, next, uh, your next move is right around the corner. You know it, we know it. You're running out of room, you need a new house, you need more space. And or they're leaving and you're just like, screw this, I don't need all the square footage, I need downsize. Hit those guys up. They'll help you out. Um, They make the process easy. And then finally, Explore St. Louis. Uh, Explore St. Louis is responsible for telling our story across the country to conferences, tourists, and you. 
you, Mr. Mom and Dad Soccer fans, uh, Ubers, tournament season's coming. You're going to be coming into the loo. Go to explorestl.com. Check out where to say, what, what to eat, what to do, concert calendars, food. And, and just FYI, James Beard nominations came out just the other day. And uh, point of reference, we had a lot of nominees on that list. And Kansas with a lowercase k had jack shit. So, um, again, there's that. Uh, I'm not going to get into any pinnacle points of the day today because I'm, I have a feeling we're going to have quite a few pinnacle points baked into our conversation. I'm just going to roll our guest on um, and get this conversation started. So without further ado and me wasting your time, Mr. Chris Allen. How's it going, Chris? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Ha- happy Friday. Happy Friday. It is a happy Friday, isn't it? Thanks for having me on and just appreciate all the support, everything that you guys are doing to raise the profile of soccer in St. Louis and just such knowledgeable entertainment quality you guys are providing. It's really cool. Yeah, I feel you, honored to be a part of it. Right now, Jared's head is just busting. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to put that one on you, man. There you go. Uh, I, I want to make a quick, just kind of a, a point, just kind of an observation came in. This is the first time we've, we've been in the same room before. Yeah. Uh, this first time we've ever like face face intro. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I got to be honest, you got a glow going, man. I know you're not pregnant. Uh, this is beautiful bald head of mine. <laughs> the guys with full head of hairs and good looking like you, you don't understand. Oh, no, no, you no, don't, no. You don't this, get it, man. You this just... is bedhead and stress. <laughs> so, uh, no, but legitimately, like, I, I don't know if you're always a happy guy. I'm going to assume you probably are. I mean, you, you, I, I've heard great things about you from uh, peers. Uh, staff, ex-players, etc. Uh, you know, but with the new news, the new opportunity, you were just talking about the acceleration of your family uh, moving up earlier than planned. Yeah. Uh, you seem happy, man. Am I, am I, am I close? No, it's, I mean, I got a lot of ADHD that keeps me, <laughs> keeps me running high uh, most of the time, but just an overall positive demeanor, like enthusiastic and you know, to get the opportunity to talk to talk soccer, um, that has been such an important part of my life. Like, how, how could you not be excited about it? So it's an exciting time for the for myself, for my family, and really for all the people that, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of others that have helped get me to this place to be, you know, Marquette's women's soccer head coach and the Big East right now. It's kind of surreal and just... Uh, just taking it all in, but just loving like every minute of the ride that goes with it and just couldn't be more enthusiastic about it. So so let's start there. Well, you, typically we do things chronologically just yeah. to kind of keep people in uh, a simple mode. But I think I think it's really important. Let's let's jump into the here and now. Yeah, um, you you got the nod, uh, the opportunity. You're going to be the new uh, women's head coach at Marquette University. As you just stated, it is a Big East school. Yeah. Um, you know, I was kind of looking through a little bit of the data, a little bit of the, the you know, the recent record and stuff. You know, and, and look, really, really good programs. They don't make changes. Uh, the, the, the the record has been less than stellar for yeah. a little while. Uh, so you're going in there, obviously, to try and, you know, make a turn. Make, Absolutely. Create some growth. How excited are you or uh, in... Uh, challenged by that prospect that now um, there's no more A in front of the coaching term yeah. uh, assistant or associate. There's just a capital C. Yeah. Uh, what's that mean to you? 
You know, I I think I'm in cr- first. You know, to the first part of your question with Marquette, like I, it's the teacher in me. Like at the end of the day, I'm a biology teacher that gets to coach some soccer. It's a, uh, I um I love the teaching and the building aspect. I think it's what my special is, and not just with a team, but a classroom and individuals and the opportunity. You know, Marquette, you know, Marquette women's soccer, massive, massive ordeal in the 90s, 2000s, and even early, you know, 2014, 15, everything like that. So the opportunity, like they've had sustained success there on the national stage before, the opportunity to bring that back is just exhilarating for me, you know, in, in, in that respect. So could not be more kind of excited about the building that goes with that. That's what I was most proud of, of what we did at SLU. Even back to my high school days, that's what we did at Webster Groves High School. I just love it. Like it just invigorates me and I would rather build something with my own hands than try to sustain someone else's success. So this is like hitting at the perfect time in my coaching career. And I think it's hitting at the perfect time in their program standpoint. And I think it's going to be a really good fit moving forward. So let me ask you a question um, about the program. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about the conference. Yeah. Um, Big East Conference. Yeah. That's a bit. It's a beast, man. Yeah, Literally. That, uh, capital the, the beast. beast. Yeah. Um, when 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 the opportunity presented itself and you started to like zoom out a little bit and you look at the program and then you look at what your schedule is going to look like, you look at the travel, you look at, you know, kind of that new Mendoza line. Yeah. What is the Big East Conference? Uh, what does that mean to you in regards to, uh, you know, pride or challenge? Um, how fun is that? It's really fun. You know, I you what what you learn pretty quickly is like you have to bring your best every game, every game. And we love, you know, I I love have been a part of the Atlantic 10 conference. You know what I mean? You got some really, really good schools, Dayton, VCU, like UMass, like there's some really good schools there, but there were times where you didn't have to be your best and you could still come out of it with a three, four, you know, zero victory just because of the talent that we had put out on the field and whatnot. You're not going to do that in the big East. And I think the excitement of it being a multi-bid league Whereas, like, my goodness, Katie and I, when we scored a goal, it felt a little bit more like relief than exuberance because you're like, oh, if we wouldn't have gotten that goal, if we wouldn't have gotten this result, bad things could have happened. And how right. quickly you're no longer in the NCAA tournament. The opportunity that this is a two to three bid year, bid league per year, it's pressure, but it's also like if you can be at the top half of the league, you are in the conversation. I'm excited about that. And, and the tra- I mean, you're talking about some of the nation's most historical, yeah, it's, like Georgetown. and It's it's that RPI yeah, multiplier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you kind of go in and, and really close games within that league mean more, yeah. you know, from an RPI standpoint. And we, man, we had to game the system at SLU. And I think we got it right, you know, there at the end with who we are playing non-conference right now. And the non-conference slate doesn't hold as high of a priority in a conference like that as it does when you're in the Atlantic 10. So, so let's, let's, let's get into a little bit of like, uh, you know, without you showing your cards, yeah. I mean, these are kind of generic and probably frankly public questions. Yeah, right. um, you're coming from, I mean, let's, let's just be homers about it. You're coming from a soccer Mecca. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. And what Katie is doing it with the SLU women's program, obviously with you, with all the support that you've provided yeah. over the past number of years, um, you're going up into Milwaukee. Milwaukee is, uh, just from a national perspective, look, there's good soccer in Milwaukee, right. undoubtedly. There are good players. 
it's not quite the same as what we have here from a club perspective. Just a volume yeah, of options. Yeah, just simply volume. Yeah. You know, and then, but you are, you, you know, a lot of people up north will say you're just really a northern suburb of Chicago. <laughs> so, yeah. so you have that market right. too. Right. Uh, let's talk about kind of your recruiting process. Absolutely. Going in because it, uh, coaching is a three to four month uh, job and recruiting is. 13 months. Oh my goodness. So I mean, 27 hours a day, nine days a week. Exactly. Yeah. So what's out of the gate? Do you have in mind, um, your, your plan? And can you talk about day one? How are you going to, uh, re not rebuild, but can continue to fill the pipe where are you going to go? What yeah. are you looking for? What's the recruiting process look Absolutely. like day one? You know, I think it's pretty similar to kind of what we did at St. Louis University, that we wanted to start owning our backyard and just putting a lot of attention into that. You know, we still, at SLU, like, we don't always get the best of the St. Louis players, but we the elevated talent of what we are getting here because we put so much focus on the relationships, not only just with the clubs, but the high schools and whatnot. Like, that. that's my first step, is going to win Milwaukee. And so... My first official day is on Monday. I'm at a club training Monday night. I'm doing a forum on Tuesday night and then bringing some coaches in on Wednesday. So for me, we're going to start in Milwaukee and we are going to go peel off the best talent. We got, you know, Madison, Wisconsin um, right there that we're going to have to go head to head quite a bit and win some battles. And then to your point, like we got Chicago just south of us. And so I think we're going to try to hit that, the western suburbs of Chicago, Milwaukee first and foremost. I do think, you know, we are going to be active in St. Louis. It's it's what I know. It's the relationships that we have. And there are some kids we found in the recruiting process at SLU, they want to leave St. Louis. Yeah. But they like the idea of the Jesuit education, incredibly high academic. And you're looking at a top 80 national, you know, prestigious academic institution with Marquette. I, I, I feel good about these are these are recruiting centers that we've already recruited. We already have relationships in Chicago. We started with SLU. We already had verbal commitments from Chicago and whatnot. So I'm comfortable in those settings. But first and foremost, start in your backyard and work outwards. Yeah. Well, as a Kirkwood kid yeah, yeah. who coached <laughs> at Webster and spent a lot of time at SLU, yeah. I have to assume you know, of a 24, 28 person roster. I don't know where you're yeah. planning on landing. Right. You, you, you want some three, one, four names. I, we, we absolutely, without <laughs> question, without, and you know, we've done that at SLU where half the recruiting class comes from the backyard and then you supplement, you know, from Kansas city, um, you go up to Ohio, well, Chicago and whatnot. There, there is a little bit of an advantage though, you know, because obviously when you look at the collegiate landscape, mm-hmm. uh, within these conferences and specifically, campuses, schools, programs themselves, uh, there are styles. There are definitive styles. Yeah. East Coast, Southeast, Southwest, etc. Texas is its own beast. Midwest, though, you don't see a ton of difference in playing style or attitudes uh, between a St. Louis, even a Chicago. and up. It's more so, like club-to-club basis a yeah. little bit, yeah. So is that kind of one of the, you know, maybe a little bit of a competitive advantage uh, when you do coach at a program like a Marquette or even a SLU, you d- you can do a five-hour circle and you don't need to do the 15-hour Correct. It's a, it's a massive. And I think, like, as I t- took a deep, hard look and done, did my own research about the Big East Conference, you just see size and physicality is kind of ruling that conference. And we go back to, you know, our result in the second round of the NCAA tournament versus Georgetown of the Big East, Big East champions and whatnot. And our mobility, our explosiveness, our speed, our courageousness on the dribble, 
we kind of made Georgetown's trees look like trees that we were able to run around. And so that's got to be a little bit of the blueprint of we don't want to be like any other school in the Big East. We want to be better than those schools in the Big East. And so we got to get more explosive. We got to get quicker. We got to get faster at all positions throughout the field. And, you know, the goal will be to be the quickest team on the field that's a little easier to recruit because now you're not worried about height and size and that type of stuff. And so there's a little bit of a model that we will take for, from SLU. We'll adjust it to the Big East a little bit, but we are going to get quicker. We're going to get faster. Well, okay, so I'm glad you, that you brought it up because I was eventually going to get here and you saved me some time. Um, you, you, your role at SLU, yeah. uh, per Katie and yeah. per your own sources, yeah. uh, you were responsible for the, the, the lion's share of the recruiting process. Yeah, recruiting coordinator, all that stuff. So. Um, so you were, you were the one putting the eyeballs out there, you and you and your crew, you'd go out, you're looking for players. Uh, and this is one of my favorite, I, I love this question. Yeah. I ask it all the time. Yeah. Uh, coaches, recruiters in particular. And that is when you're looking at the kids, when you're looking at the players, um, that are coming down the pipe, you're always looking for a fit for the program, but right. really what you're looking for is it. Yeah. Do they have it? Yep. So let's just get right to it. Define your it as a recruiter for any program Absolutely. that you're involved with. Absolutely. You know, I, to your point, I think you can talk specifically what, what does well for you in certain positions, but that it factor, it's a relentless competitive mentality. What happens when you get stripped of the ball? What happens when a new teammate comes on the field? Are you, you given a high five? What like that? That just translate. That is successful. That's a, a kid that I want to coach. It's a kid that I want to be around. And so we have to build a competitive, relentless mentality from a cultural standpoint. And then the soccer and all like it will take care of itself. If we surround ourselves with a bunch of kids who hate to lose, the rest will take care of itself. Let's let's peel that onion though a yeah. little bit because it's it's one thing to. And I, I love the answer. I get the answer. Yeah. I see it a lot. Um, but a lot of people are like, okay, so my kid is competitive. Uh, right. Then what? What, what, are, what are you really talking about? Let's give examples. Yeah. yeah. You know, because there's what, I, you know, if I categorize what I'm looking at as just a loving soccer Absolutely. dad, there's game, big game, league, scrimmage, practice, ping pong, right. monopoly. Absolutely. Talk about... From a competitive standpoint, let's break it into two categories. Absolutely. One, game competitiveness within the flow of a 90-minute game. What are you looking for? And then we'll get into what I think is arguably more important, competitive nature and training and drills. Absolutely. You know, I and this might not play all that well on this type of podcast. I'm probably more of a fan of sports than I am soccer. Sure. Like I, a coach is a coach is a coach. Like I just love coaching more Absolutely. so than specifically just being some soccer tactician and whatnot. And so some of my favorite sports are basketball and hockey. And I love the expression playing on your edges. And like it is nearly impossible to find a non-competitive hockey player. You're playing 5v5, 6v6 with the goalie there. If you don't get your butt back, you're getting just right. absolutely chewed basketball very much the same way there's a lot of people out there that are non-competitive soccer players and so kind of to your point like what does it look like in the game like in that moment you can just see it oozing off them dripping off them as they love the competition that's in front of them and when they get stuck on the dribble or something like that you can like they're taking mental notes they're like okay okay i see you've won that first one and now it's my turn to kind of come back and whatnot and so it's it's not rolling around and, you know, 
grabbing your ankle when you just get distraught. You know. Well, let me get, let me give you one that that absolutely melts my brain every yeah. time I see yeah. it. Let, let's say big game zero yeah. zero one one with tie, or maybe you're down a goal and it's and it's sub twenty minutes left. How do you react when you see people not moving with purpose? Uh, it's throw in dead ball, whatever. It's stunning to me. Like it's just absolutely stunning to me about like I hate I hate the fact that we tie games. Like I know it's like going against soccer culture, but like <laughs> it's painful. what a waste of time. What an absolute waste of time. Like I, and so to me, that's I would rather lose than tie a game because that's how much we're going to pour into going forward and whatnot. And we were playing at Brown this past fall with SLU. Um, I think they were top twenty-five. We were top twenty-five at zero-zero with ten minutes left. And they're delaying the game. They're slowing it down. And I'm like, what are we doing, guys? It's a win for them. What what are we doing? And you would think that we're the team on the road. Technically, we should be playing for the result. There's no points given non-conference anyway. That just irks me in no way, you know, and just to no end and whatnot. So, like, we want to see kids that are going to take risks, that are going to play on their edges because that's how important winning is to them. And if they sacrifice something on the other end by daring greatly, then they sacrifice something on the other end by daring greatly. So we, um, a little while back, this was late last spring, we actually had Pat Noonan on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, He kicked my ass all over the high school fields, (laughs) courts, all those things. So, yeah. Um, And we've been kind of going back through um, putting out some sound bites, clips, highlights of it. And it's really ironic because yesterday I put out one of his uh, and it was basically looking at the, you know, looking at the players that are coming up through the MLS, ne- MLS yep. next path, and this, you know, talking about the on the boys side is what he was yeah. looking at, but but it applies both ways. He said that you know you're looking at as much as you want kids to be competitive, and of course a win is better than a loss. Right. When it comes to development, you're really focusing on the things that occur that increase the development for the potential of a pro path. But within that conversation, it was, what are they doing differently? Are they reacting to a game? Are they, you know, uh, if, if, if there's a lot of high pressure on, are they box defending well? Are they, are they reading the room? Yeah. How do you describe that? Because... I have a feeling there's probably going to be a lot of current players and potential players that are going to listen to this. Yeah. And they're looking for a little insight. Talk about, put those two things together. What we were just talking about and what Pat talked about. Where's the balance between taking a chance and potentially giving up a goal or getting a poor result? Without question. And I kind of interrupted you last time because I answered one part of your question, but not the practice mentality and the other. And so my first answer, it was just heavy on the outcome. It was heavy on the outcome of winning, losing, tying, or whatnot. But it is the process. It is the growth that happens when the lights, you know, when the crowd isn't there and whatnot. That actually builds the culture of your own individual mentality. And so that individualistic growth, that individualistic of did I get better today? And the purposeful intentionality surrounding that. And you come into training session, you come into an individual session, you come into a lift, there's a plan. It's not just like, hey, I was on the field for three hours today, but I didn't really do much of anything besides shoot the ball from 35, 40 yards. There's an intentionality that goes with it because you are wanting to put yourself in a position to be counted on to win that moment in the actual game that determines the outcome at that point. And so we put a heavy emphasis on culture and that like you trust me to do my job and I'm gonna trust you to do yours. And so if you make an aggressive rotation, 
I'm effing coming with you. Yeah. Like I'm trusting it. We're going together. You know what I mean? And I think that is how you create an individual contribution to the collective effort. And you just surround yourself with people that just love to freaking win. They love to get better. They love the process of growth and learning. They're not always the best at it immediately and whatnot. They just, that competitive spirit takes you to places that sometimes other things cannot. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, I know, I know you said you were a biology teacher by trade. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to actually lean in, in, into the literary world a little bit. Um, because within these programs, you know, these, these kids, as much as they have the guidance and, and the, and the instruction from staff, we're really talking about a pseudo Lord of the Flies environment. Absolutely. They have to do that. And within that environment, there needs to be leaders. Yeah. Uh, and there's way, there's a lot of different types of leaders, obviously, at every level right. of human involvement. But when it comes to sport, and you're talking about 18 to 22, 23-year-old young women, yeah. and you're looking for leaders in a Lord of the Fly environment <laughs> yeah. within the, within the right. locker room, et cetera. Right. What do you like? What do you like to see? What stands out to you uh, from a leadership standpoint to maybe push or try to ensure that the crew are all playing on the edges? Absolutely. You know, I think as you were asking the question, and I I hope I'm not mixing up these names, like I I think as an assistant, and this is going to be challenging, I, I think I view myself as Jack. Um, oh, if that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the face paint, the blood yeah. on the face. Okay, the... everybody right now, just hit pause on the show. <laughs> go pull up the wiki pages, Lord of the Fly characters, and piece this together. Um, the other guy who is the rival, I'm forgetting his name at this point, but more like a steady handed. I think I'm going to have to transition a little bit more into that leadership model, to mm-hmm. your point, being being the head coach and not the assistant who's just riling everybody up. You know what I mean? A little right. bit more thoughtful and kind of what that looks like i think it's my job as a coach then is to put together a locker room put together you know a a team on the field where you're getting the best of both worlds i would say hannah larson is you know for slew and whatnot just plays on the her edges everything like she's the jack of the group like a little bit wild crazy chaotic but in the best way yeah like an amazing type of human and then you look at the back line, Sophia Stram is, and again, I wish I knew the other guy's name, whatnot. Sure. It's just that stoic leadership, calm, never rattled. You pair those together, I think that's what you need. And so we have to be thoughtful as a coaching staff, as coaches, of putting together the pieces of the puzzle that maximize the overall productivity of the group. Because if you have a bunch of jacks running around, it might be fun for a while, but it's just not long-term sustainable success. So I think that's my job in the process. And getting to know people in the relationships of like, tell me about the character. Tell me about these little things. It's more than what the first touch looks like and ability to break pressure and such like that. Let, let me add another layer to this. Um, and, and I'm going to ask your opinion or, or what, what you view uh, culture as in terms of, because uh, like over on the boys' side in our own experience, we, we see it from a feedback prospect, you know, all the Insta shit yeah. where they're labeling these kids and Brand, branding. And, yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's the the, the flair players, right? They're the 
you're, they're the nines, the tens, the sevens, and you know, it's like, oh, this flair, and there's right. a character that goes along with that. And then there's the not flair yeah. uh, that are, you know, like Jared and I joke about this, you know, our boys are defensive players. Flair to them is a season-long .6 goals against average. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, but you and, have and, to get a culture that appreciates well, that that's, contribution. Well, that's my question because you're going to have, in a perfect world, you've got a roster that has this, the two bookends of uh, player types, right. you know, with flair, uh, productive flair. I, you know, I look, got you. Yeah. 7,000 touches and no goals doesn't mean shit. Right. Um, but none of that matters if you don't have a cultural North Star. Yeah. If you were to define what you think or want that, that culture to look like, you know, kind of in an elevator pitch, right. what, is, what, what can someone expect? Because it'll take a little bit of time. Right. But let's say three, four, five years down the road, if you were to define the culture of Marquette women's soccer, what would you like that to look like? Yeah, I think the hardest part about culture and building it is like it has to be more than a word on a wall. Like you have to bring it. Believe. Yeah. Unless it's believe. <laughs> there you go. That's take. Yeah. That, everyone steal that in the country right now, myself included. Um no, but I, I think you have to make it authentic and genuine and true to the culture and the organi- organization that you are a part of. You know, one of the things is we see a lot, and I'm going into Marquette right now, and there's a massive emphasis on family. Okay. And it, it, it looks good on the back of a T-shirt, like without question. But any, it, it, in, it, any college in the country can be a family. It, do you see that? And I'm totally going to ask yeah. a uh, kind of, uh, it, do you see that more from the Jesuit standpoint? I think so. I think there's more of a cultural connection to it and whatnot. And not that I disagree with it at all. Like I love the you know connections that goes with it and whatnot. However, like I said, like any team in the country can be a family. We want to be more than that. We want to be a championship culture. And so we have to take those familial values and those reliance and togetherness with each other. But we got to be more productive. We got to be more competitive. And we got to use that as a foundation to then go win freaking games because this is what it's about at the end of the day. Like we have to go find a way to win. Let's let's flip the coin real quick before we go to break here. Yeah. What is it? What is what is the toxic trait that you will seek out to filter out selfishness? The on, flare, off the field, all the of flare it? for the flare of it. The flare for the freaking flare of it. Just that selfishness. What happens when you lose the ball? Are you? pointing at your feet you're pointing at the referee you're doing all you're fixing the shin guards you're doing pulling the sock like that selfishness how telling is body language oh my god people don't realize it parents don't realize it because you're most well, the time, parents are usually doing the exact same thing oh my god well they're the ones screaming at the referee which is where the kid it is i think if you actually step back and you don't have a vested interest in the game and you're looking at evaluating you can pick a list of i would not recruit those kids i would absolutely recruit those and it might not be who you think yeah I'm with you. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get a little refill. Uh, Mellow Mushroom, Sunset Hills, smells like heaven. Uh, I'm going to roll us out. A little Violent Femmes. Again, Milwaukee's own Violent Femmes. I'm pretty sure there's probably a statue of them somewhere downtown. There is. I, I literally was walking in an arena, and I saw all the famous bands or something like that that had played there. They are one of them. Well, so there I, we go. I looked up, you know, uh, famous musicians from Milwaukee. Uh, it's not a long list. <laughs> However, the Cheese Hall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. It's off the charts. Fried cheese and beer. Come on up. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back more with Chris Allen after the break. Uh, we'll catch you. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. 
Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. All right, we're back mixing it up. These guys uh, are definitely not from Milwaukee. The, do you know who this is? No. A little music no. trivia? No. Really? No. Here, look. Got no. it? Got no. it yet? Nope. White Stripes. Jack White. No way. Meg oh, it is the White Stripes. Is it really? Okay. I'm playing this in honor of uh, the Detroit Lions. <laughs> who are making a little bit of run. I don't want to jinx them, but uh, Eminem will jinx them. <laughs> Let me ask your opinion. I mean, if you were, if are you into NFL at all? When they when the Rams left St. Louis, I was kind of screwed this a little bit. But I, I guess like everyone in St. Louis were becoming de facto Chiefs fans at this point. So which is so lame. Yeah, I agree. Let I me agree. ask you, which what's cooler? Is it Tay Tay with the Chiefs or Eminem with the Lions? <laughs> It's probably I, I got my I got my Swifty bracelet on uh, right here. At the, oh, I was man. at the K, you know the KC concert, so we'll go we'll go KC. Okay, uh, everybody, thank Chris Allen for his time <laughs> on our show. <laughs> Wrong answers. That's okay. Uh, we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more soccer. We're we're going to shift it up, and actually, we're going to get more into our backyard. Go down the. A uh, ladder into an extremely toxic world known as <laughs> high school slash club soccer. Um, we're up here at Mellow Mushroom. Check them out. Bring the family. Uh, super forward. Well, happy hours literally every day. Um, food's fire. Check it out. Uh, Chris, yeah. so you you knew this was coming. Yeah. Um, one of our favorite things to do is to poke the bear. And the bear that we love poking the most is... Uh, high school soccer, its its role, its presence, its relevance uh, in relation to, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify, I'm gonna add to this discussion because I think that this debate, yeah, high school versus club, I think it's it's been missing a component. I do too. I do too. I think it's a triangle discussion, and I think at the tip of the triangle on the top is collegiate pathway and or slash other. Uh, and at the bottom of it is high school and club. Yeah. You, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you've, you've, you've got a, uh, a passion in your soul for the, the high school game. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background, a little bit of Absolutely. experience in yeah. the high school game. Uh, where were you? How long? Which teams? Talk a little bit yeah. about that. And then let's, let's kind of slide into... Uh, the where club comes into play in today's environment. Absolutely. So I won't go all the way back, but you know, when uh, went out to Gonzaga University to pursue my master's in athletic administration. Ideally, wanted to be a college athletic director. As part of the internships, you know, you had to get some experience in the classes. Had to go coach. 
Um, and I went and coached at Gonzaga Prep High School, same relation to, of like SLU to SLU High, that sure. type of. Re- and I fell in love with it just immediately, just like this is my passion. Um, dropped out of that master's program, started trying to get the educational teaching certificate. I was like, I want to be a high school coach, you know, and then immediately was coaching John Stockton's kid in basketball and coaching soccer there. Coached at another school in Spokane, Mead High School is my first head coaching position um, at that point. Coached the girls there, the boys at G Prep and whatnot. Um, we were out there for four years, and my wife and I had our second kid, moved back to St. Louis. She's from here as well, Jody. Um, and got a gig with Tim Cashel at Webster Groves and kind of took a chance on me, brought me in and whatnot, and started, I think, like JV boys soccer, maybe JV girls soccer, immediately went to varsity head coach of the girls soccer at Webster Groves and was there for, I believe, 12, 12 years. And I've coached basketball. I've been the head field hockey coach at Webster at one point. Like, just all the different... I just was love it coaching. One those, did, did you fall asleep in that admin meeting and they were like, that guy, he's the it was. It was literally like two weeks beforehand. <laughs> I think a new coach had dropped out and Jerry Collins, I had stopped coaching the boys because I was doing basketball and soccer at that point, so winter, spring. And he knew I wasn't coaching. And he's like, please, just be a coach for a season. Like, we just need someone that can organize. Field hockey. Field hockey. I, I, I literally uh, did you bought, immediately bought, go bought to YouTube? Book, bought a book, went field, to you, field hockey went to for YouTube. dummies. Ex- exactly, <laughs> and uh, it was it, one of the most illuminating. Like I love new challenges, new adventures, and I was talking to assistants who had played and everything like that. And I'm like, why do they keep four players high? Like, is there a restraining line? Like, why are we defending so you know numbers down? Like, and they're like, no, they can come back. And I'm like, well, we're going to bring those players back. And we were running like a 5-4-1. We were taking away the space. We were, And the Coriezu head coach was telling me that I was ruining the game of field hockey. But it was the two most successful seasons Webster has ever had because we just coached it like park the bus soccer. You know what I mean? Because we weren't very good. How irritated does it make you, though? Because you're clearly a sports fan across yeah. the board. When you hear OGs... Kind of uh, give their opinion like that because you're t- saying that it just made my toes curl because we hear that in soccer all the time. Without question. How wrong is it for programs to lean into legacy over y- 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 de- developmental change right. or strategic change? I just think this is my teaching and coaching background, and I think every truly successful coach is at the core a very good teacher. and walking into a biology classroom with 28 kids of different learning styles, 28 kids of different reading backgrounds, of different intelligence, different socioeconomic, and you got to go get the best out of them. I don't know. How much easier, though, is it that there's no parents on the sideline in the classroom? Holy hell. Just, <laughs> that's, a, that's another podcast for another day. But um, I, I just think, like, when you look at that, you then, as a coach, as a teacher, you then have to craft, like, how can we get the best out of this group collectively without just kicking kids off the bus or, you know, off the boat at that point? And then, like, let's see if we can find some success. We were not good at field hockey, but, man, we could be fit. Yeah. We could be tough. We could stay in stance. We could be disciplined, and we could make it very difficult to get scored on. And we found our way into games, and I learned the rules a little bit more, and it was a really cool experience for me, and I loved every minute of it. And I still have field hockey players like we're in a relationship and connection to get like I loved it. I loved it, and so, so that, that's where I'm saying I'm more of a fan of sports than I am specifically soccer because I just love the process of growth. 
So, I mean, you played soccer as a youth. You yeah. played, you played a year in college, I believe. Yeah, so went to Calvin College, D3, um, then was transferred to Truman State. At that point, if you were transferring up divisions, you had to sit out a year. Yeah. So started doing some baseball at Truman. I was just bored out of my mind, just too much ADHD, and shagging fly balls for four hours just takes the life out of Baseball's you. Baseball's awful. Did so, I say that out loud? No. It, so, I thought but, that was subliminal. But then I had some good friends in my fraternity that were playing club lacrosse. And I'm like, so you can hit people with a stick and it's not a foul? They're like, hell yeah. And I was like, hell yeah. So started <laughs> started doing that. And my first ever coaching team is I met, uh, you know, Jody, uh, my you know wife, was uh, playing on the women's lacrosse team club up there and they needed a coach. So I would do practice with the men and then I'd go coach them. And I just, I fell in love with it. I just absolutely fell in love with college athletics, wanted to be a part of it. But then when I got up to Spokane, was like, maybe I want to be in the high school classroom a little bit more. So, well, let's, let's get into the high school soccer yeah. side, um, at Webster. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, let me back up in Washington. You were coaching boys. Yeah. Uh, boys and, soccer. and girls up there, but yeah. Uh, you come back here, Cashel brings you on, you're on the boys' side at first, and you shift over to the girls' side. Yeah. Um, were, were you okay going to the girls' side out of the gate? Because we know, you know, we, we've heard from a lot of coaches, like, it's tough for them. Forget about yeah. ego, forget about right. in, in, or, or uh, uh, you know, chauvinism. Right. Uh, they just... The, the personalities, the clashes, et cetera, they were a little worried about it. When you were given the reins, yeah. was it just easy? Was it- I, I got to be honest. Like, I think I enjoyed it more. Um, I had two young daughters at that time, and I was kind of getting, you know, into the girl dad. Like, why should they be deprived of opportunities? Sure. And, so, and so I poured myself into it, and I found very early, and not trying to make a general overlies statement or stereotype, but... The guys that I was coaching were always very concerned as to how their role was going to play into the team. And it felt like you would then switch seasons and go over to the girls' side, and they were just immediately bought into the team. And it was more of like, how can I help? Not how is this team going to help me a little bit. And my emphasis on like culture and camaraderie, it just seemed to resonate a little bit more in that setting than at times it did with the guys. Right. And I found myself looking more forward to the spring at times than I was looking for. And it's not that I did not enjoy my experiences at Webster. I was a part of some really great teams, some state championships. It just, I, I, I just, I just naturally started to enjoy it a little bit more. So, so over time, the, the program evolved. It yeah. definitely improved. Yeah. Uh, you, you had, uh, if I read correctly, six plus 20 win seasons. Yeah. Um, fell a little short on yeah. the state side. Uh, but you you started to move players also into the collegiate ranks, right. you know, in conjunction with, you know, the clubs, et cetera. Um, back then, when you first started, and I hate that it sounds weird saying it because it's not that long ago. Right, right. Uh, but but it re- is within the way that this is just in I the mean, exponentially exploded. The, there wasn't a clear-cut delineation. There was not the mandate or the choice to be made for certain players to play club or high school. It was always and. Yeah. Um, Did you you see that coming? And when it started to occur, what was your initial reaction to 
the forced choice absolutely yeah. uh, for some of these players that were playing in the elevated leagues absolutely you know I think first just to track back a little bit is like I was very proud of what we, me my staff like kind of accomplished at Webster and my goal is to always leave a place better than I found it and so my final year at Webster before I went over to SLU the very next year they won the state championship and I was really proud of that, even though I was not the head coach. Did they give you a medal? Uh, no, I, I, I did not receive that. They probably should I mean, have. Yeah. You know, a little bit of uh, residual. Exactly. Here. And, you know, my daughters were going to be a part of it. They have been a part of it. Um, you know, daughter's the Statesman Award winner. My other daughter's currently in the program right now and whatnot. So I was always incredibly proud of what I did to help stabilize and move that thing forward to lead them to ultimate success. I think the same thing's going to happen at SLU. I think that this is going to be an absolute final four type of season that they're going to have and I'm proud of that to leave it in a better than what I found it even if they take down Marquette in, in route <laughs> that'll be more conflicted yeah. kind of at, at that point but um, you know to your point when I first arrived at Webster we had one club player right And but it was in the day and age where select actually meant that you were being selected you know what I mean and like it wasn't just oh everyone gets to be a part of it and you'll we'll find a freaking team for you in the age group and whatnot and yeah, so because during those years the monolith clubs were really predominantly only on the boys side without question and without, the girl the girl side had some powerhouse clubs right and for 30 years 40 absolutely years. absolutely but the scale wasn't the same well and i think very quickly people started being like oh you can make some serious money some serious coin in the youth sports kind of club world right. and it was amazing to my point like exponentially of just how quickly that then jumped that, that by the time I left Webster like it was like you better be playing club or you're not making the team like that's everyone was a part of it in the JV the freshman team well, like a, everyone was wouldn't a big part of that though be the the growth of the game yeah overall I, I agree um, with that. Yeah. you know because you're you when you if you go back 15 20 25 years when you did have uh, you know, quite a few high school programs uh, that had kids that would come in that would compete yeah. and based on the class size of the school in the division, et cetera, you know, everything seemed on par. Yeah. Uh, but as you had an increase in young players, girls in particular, joining more and more developed clubs, the talent pool got Absolutely. really big, really deep, fast. Yeah. Did you see almost a year-over-year year elevation in quality commensurate with what we're talking about? Absolutely. Like when we'd go play Narricks Hall early on and they had eight D1 kids on their team and I was running the field hockey team out there for, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this kid's got some college potential. Oh, this kid's got... And all of a sudden you started to see some parity develop, you know, and then Misha reclassified to four classes as yeah. opposed to three at that time. It was even two when I first started, I believe. Now all of a sudden you start seeing people have success and then people want to join successful things. And that's why we have 29 national champions for an age group and people celebrating consolation to the consolation yeah. national champions. It drives me crazy. But I do understand people want to celebrate. People want to lift something up and whatnot. And so as that platform got greater and more talent was coming in, I think the explosion of it was not just the club. It was the high schools as well growing together, which it makes me, if I'm being really honest, like just kind of disheartened and sad that we're now in this world of they can't coexist in what would be the best interest 
of the player and the person moving forward, and now it has to be either or. Yeah. And that, that frustrates me as a parent of three kids, as someone who is a part of it. And now that someone that has sees the 30,000 feet perspective, being a college coach, because they're all talking about path to college and stuff like that, and um, just being a little disillusioned and just want to help get well, that, as much knowledge out there as possible. How, how, do you, how do you balance, though, you know, because when you look at the men's side in particular, yeah. Um, the men's side, if I were to like just guesstimate, I would say there's probably 15 to 20 year head start as it pertains to when you look at these players, what are their options and, and, and where is the pressure coming from right. to create that mandated choice between full time club versus. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and on the men's side, you've got obviously now there's MLS, MLS right. next. You've got USL is growing fast. And then you have an even higher uh, level with a smaller percentage of players that are just skipping it all and going to Europe. So when you look at the totality, the numbers, um, the pressure and the expectation on these truly one percenters, and I think th- that's a whole other debate. Right. What is the number? Are we saying it's really one percent or is it really the top three percent? Right. Is it five percent? We don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a demand there. And my opinion from being you know in in the position that i'm in what i see is the parents are gobbling up these optics and these expectations absolutely and they're the ones cutting the checks yeah so whenever everybody gets mad at clubs and they're like oh you know this is they're money hungry well this is called supply and demand absolutely um and then on the flip side there's not a coach we've talked to at any level that doesn't acknowledge the role and the potential that high school presents these kids if and when they do it yeah. from a you gotta challenge yourself you gotta right. play with lower players you gotta find a new way to win you gotta play other positions yeah uh now let me skip over to the girls side the girls side is just now entering into that phase that was 10 15 years ago on the boys side with the ga yeah and the uh expansion of opportunities right uh D1 programs are growing in prowess. Uh, you have a professional league that is building its own stadiums now. Uh, you're probably going to see two to four new teams over the next five to six years in the league. There's European options. Hopefully, STL City is one of them. Exactly. So my point is the demand, the growth, the popularity on the women's side is moving quickly. Yeah. Do you see that as another uh, 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 threat to the high school game? You know, I, I think it's a great question. I think, like, in full transparency, I am not as well-versed on the men's side and the guy, boys' side and whatnot. I, I think that now with STL City here, that word academy takes on a different <clears throat> perspective because it is, in true essence, an academy that is built out of the European models. Well, let, me, let, let, me, let me give you kind of a, a frame okay. of reference on okay. the boys' side yeah. because this, I think you'll absolutely know where I'm coming from on this. Let's look at the boys' side this past fall. You look at the state championships, you know, all four classes. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City ran the table on us, except for, what was it, Class 2, I think. Uh, Regardless. First time uh, ever that Class 3 and 4 both had, you know, the Kansas City winners. Yeah. Okay, we did some simple math. When you look at City SC, uh, Gallagher, and Lou Fuse, and you take the age groups and you add up all the rosters, 
estimation is 250, 260 players right. that are high school aged in the St. Louis area that were not eligible to play yeah. high school soccer. Right. Go across state. SKC had three teams that are roughly in that age group, but over half of the players that play at that academy are not from Kansas City. Right. So Sporting Kansas City lost approximately 20, 25 players that would have been yeah. relevant in the high school game. St. Louis lost over 250. That's a great. You yeah, yeah. You see, see where I'm going to, to quantify this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so my point is, my question to you is, on the girls' side, yeah. if what do they need to do to continue to create value? Yeah. From a high school perspective, absolutely. absolutely. Because you, as a Division One coach, right. If 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 these academies do start to blow up and they grow right. at the pace that the boys' side d- d- has, yeah, where are you recruiting? Absolutely, you know, I I do think to acknowledge there's a little bit of a different like the women's college game is thriving, like just absolutely thriving oh, right now. It's it, monster. Yeah, it's and it still is funneling national team players into it now. Kid like Alex Pfeiffer, a kid, you know, now you're going to see time kind of to your question of like, what does development look like there? And is that the new path forward and whatnot? And so I think a lot of times you see college men's soccer not trying to save its game, but truly becoming the pathway to, to pro that you don't skip that step. And we've seen legislation about a year round programming and everything that goes into that development. And, you know, I know mixed opinions on that, but they're trying, you know, in, in that respect. I think the women's game is a, a good moment, but I think it's very, it's very, we gotta be very careful of like how we move forward. Like to your point is to learn some of the lessons from what's happening on the men's side of things. I think the biggest thing, and I think high school soccer should always have a place in the developmental platform. Um, because as a dad going through it with my own kids who play club soccer, as a high school coach, as a former club coach out at Four Rivers in Union, Missouri, like the two words that are most highly spoken as it relates to club is exposure and development. Right. No one is going to one zero like I, 100% in agreement that you are paying for the exposure that goes with it. And you're getting massive exposure. I'm one of 150 college coaches on the sideline watching a Gallagher team play. You know what I mean? Right. You are getting that level of exposure. I do think that development word is not as strong as it once used to be at that point. And I think it's been so diluted because we've expanded to your question so freaking quickly yep. at that point. And now we have this model and this power dynamic that I really do feel bad for the families and the kids about because I don't believe we are actually putting the person in front of the player and the student in front of the player. It is everything's being driven by the player at this point. And I worry a little bit about what we are reinforcing because I'm on the side of these types of discussions where, say, a club coach is telling a kid, you can go play high school. So you're giving them that option. But when you come back, I can't assure that you're going to be on the team that's going to be trying to compete for a national championship. And as a parent, your legs are cut out from underneath you at that point. Right. And then from a developmental standpoint and a competitive standpoint, which is like where we talked at the beginning, is if one of these clubs is saying, yeah, we're going to take a top player who chose not to play with us and stick them on our second team, how is that preparing these kids for college soccer? Right. Because I, I can go to a high school game and I can see that there's two to three kids at the end of the bench that simply will not get on the field. 
every kid plays within the club platform every single game. You put in your money, you've done your thing, you're at that event, that exposure and whatnot. And so then for me, when these kids come to college, they're like, why am I not playing? Why am I not? And now the transfer portal becomes that much more popular because we have systematically promoted that you will play. You've paid your money, and we're no longer a pay-to-play model once they get to the college landscape. Yeah, I I do think that one of the biggest uh, uh, downfalls uh, or, uh, you know, uh, negative characteristics of club soccer as it pertains to the potential of a collegiate career is the unrealistic expectation that you are going to be the ace from U12, U13, all the way up through U17, U19, and then you're going to go to college and think you're going to be the ace as a 17, 18-year-old freshman with 21, 22, 23-year-old It's unrealistic, and it sets these kids up, and it sets these parents up for a pretty unhappy experience. And I, I just think that I am a true advocate that it can be club and high school. I don't see, I, I understand if you are a part of the STL City Academy, and there is truly, you can go to the professional game and you are wearing the exact same uniform that they are wearing. I get it. There is a true path to pro. STL City has shown that the promotion, you know, within, within the club and everything like that. I struggle a little bit when it's not STL City. And we are talking about well, I, 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 every club has an academy now. So my, uh, my online nemesis uh, over there at, uh, I think they're the Rams. The <laughs> I think it's the Rams for sure. Oh, Le, Ledoux. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the fighting Ehrenbergs. I got the you. The fighting Ehrenbergs. You know, we, we go round and round and round on this, and I think that defining pathway, City SC has in its title, in its mission statement, pro path. Absolutely. And they do that. I When I look at other MLS Next squads, uh, be it a Gallagher yeah. or Hughes, uh, but you go out of market. Look at a Chicago Soccers. Look at a Irvine Strikers. You know, uh, Weston down in Miami. I mean, these are massive yeah. clubs. Um, and, and knowing that MLS in particular, if you look at their draft, three rounds of draft picks, right? Roughly right. 90 picks. Right. Over 85% of those picks, where do they come from? College. Yeah. Um, these clubs are starting to realize that, you know, it, Pro Pathway is, you know, put an asterisk next to Correct. that Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, because realistically, uh, look at the Mayer family, right? Yeah. Every one of those boys. Indiana has kind of a, a, Absolutely. a thumbprint on their Pro Pathway. Yep. But that was derived through an SLSG relationship. Right. So I think defining Pathway, mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't buy the Pro argument anymore personally yeah um i think it's really kind of looking at the bigger picture because the collegiate division one level is becoming more and more and more competitive not only within its own ranks here domestically from kids within these domestic clubs right but the international you know absolutely and that's you know more heavily influenced on the men's side yeah from that standpoint well because the women's side uh, the u.s women are a powerhouse. And it'll be interesting to see how that begins to change now that we're starting to see these academies overseas and it's just a completely different Chinks model in the armor. because they don't have high school sports. Correct. Overseas. So it's not, it's either you're in the academy or you're not no longer playing. Well, and that's kind of my point. That uh, leads to maybe just a, a subtle question here. You know, when you look at the growth of the Women's Professional League and you look at the growth 
of women's professional leagues mm -hmm. in Europe and the growth of the World Cup and you and, and money, more money going into the women's game. Yeah. Uh, do you foresee uh, a potential wave and or a demand uh, to to recruit overseas because let's be honest if we're looking at style of play yeah and you look at national teams as okay here's our resume this is what's coming up through the pipe if you're a women's coach at a high level how are you not salivating over spanish players uh hell even english players obviously brazilian players right compared to are big, fit, fast American players? It's a it's a phenomenal question, and I think that's why women's college, men's college, like they want to get this right. And like, I I I love America, like, I, and I love how uniquely weird and wonderfully weird we are. I don't know you why, mean we, like cheese curd. Yeah, there we go. I just I can't I, I I don't understand why we can't get a little bit on the same page as it relates to this. You know what I mean? Because I think that we have the population. We have our own countries within our own country, our own cultures, our own traditions and whatnot. And I just think there's such an opportunity to pull it together, both on the men's side, both and become like dominant on the world stage. The women have been dominant because they were the first one at the table. You know what I mean? And yeah. really the first one to really start throwing resources into it. Anson Dorrance at North Carolina was a massive part from, of that. From a U.S. soccer standpoint. From a U.S. soccer, sorry. From a U.S. soccer standpoint right, right. from that. And so now all of a sudden, to your point, you're seeing all that investment. So I think you want to stick to the model that you've known, that's worked, that supports the communities that you are in. But yeah, if all of a sudden there's a We Are Marshall version on the women's side of things, that they are going to win national championships and sustaining that level of success, I think it's going to, people are going to really gonna have to take some, you know, isn't look it, in the mirror. Isn't it reasonable to expect or predict that will happen? Oh, I think it's so. It's a matter of time. I think Probably so. Probably sooner I than... I mean, Florida State was doing it a lot under uh, Mark um, before he left for the professional game and whatnot. And if you have that platform, you have that reputation. Well, we just we just had on uh, Mike Bristol. Oh, did you? Yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's a good old Granite City boy. I tell you what. It's <laughs> talking about playing on your edges over there. My goodness. Um, I, I find it really interesting because I think that, like, the women's programs, the women's game in general has been obviously in the wake for, for a number of different reasons, good and bad, primarily bad. Um, but the ability to look at what has been happening on the, on the men's side, specifically in that U13 up through the collegiate ages, um, there's a lot of chaos going on. Yeah. Um, what can the women's programs, what can coaches like yourself yeah. that are at power schools within the Big East, et right. cetera, what are some things that you can do to be both and I hate to use the word because it sounds flip, but patriotic. Right. No, um, you know, to to work, but yet still compete at a global level. You know, I, I think we need to reframe what success looks like. I think we need to a little bit along your lines of like the Isn't path to pro contract like, extension. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, what your wife would say. I, exactly. <laughs> I would uh, like. I would argue that if I am a club coach. My ultimate goal should not be to get a kid a college scholarship or a college spot. My ultimate goal to be their success at that college that they're going to and the continued support and development that goes with that. I just think, why can't we come together? Like, I, and I, I know it's... <laughs> 
I, 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 have I, a lot of, I have a lot of reasons why I think right. they <laughs> But you know what? I, I think, and I, I do appreciate Dave Ehrenberg. Like, I do appreciate kind of the vocal, you know, minority of high school that are trying to fight for their place in the developmental game and, and whatnot. I just think, to your point, you said it earlier, is the parents have a significant amount of more power than I think that they realize. And I think our club coaches understand it. But and to your point, if like, if a club coach says to a kid like you, I mean, we, we've had this happen. And this is what really kind of steered me in one direction is a club coach um, was telling one of our verbal commitments, you need to skip high school soccer to better develop for college at St. Louis University. We at St. Louis University were encouraging that player to go play high school because you are a goal scorer, but when you play within the club that you are in, you are limited into this one little role, this one little thing that you do. Let's go score goals in a multitude of did, ways. Did, did, did you attempt to reach out to have that conversation with the club coach? Because you guys have that. Absolutely. And their, the response was, well, the trainings aren't good. This isn't, and we're, we're saying, I, I understand it, but like we need this kid to score goals in a variety of different ways. We would like her to play high school soccer. We actually reach out to the high school coach. Hey, man, like we got to up our uh, we got to yeah, up I our mean, training. Isn't that we, kind of like a banker versus teller argument? Like you, it, you guys are the banker, i.e., slew. We recruited right. this person. We know what we want. Right. And, and then there's a teller saying, nah, "You don't really want that account." And so we lost that battle. That kid ended up playing club soccer for the spring and in an over-promised environment and under-delivered where you're playing against 11 and 12-year-old boys yep. and not competing in real games and not you know, playing into that. And that's when I was like, what, what is happening here? Like we talk about, we're doing all this for the development of you to get to college, where your college coaches who are gonna be paying for your education are telling you, we want you to do this. And you still choose kind of, you just start to realize the power influence and the dynamic that goes into that. And it just made me sad for that kid because the kid actually wanted to play high school soccer, but was being well, advised not to do it. Let's zoom out a little yeah. bit because I think that one of the major players in this discussion slash issue slash, yeah. you know, <laughs> thesis is parents yeah uh you you've you've now kind of really been living at every level within this process from the freshman jv up through you know power university at SLU with katie and now you're going on to the big east and you've got your own expectations for these players um so you've seen what i'm about to allude to and i want you to maybe just address how important the role of the parents are in this process, specifically in managing expectations. Whose expectations, what type of conversation should be had? Um, because the armchair quarterbacks yeah. that are the ones, quote, paying the bill, right? I, what, from my experience, they do exponentially more damage than anything the kid can do. Yeah. You know, I, there was a, I think a couple of years ago, it came out that like the things the parents should say on the drive home is like, I love watching you play. And then just sit there gripping the reel. Yeah. Trying what do you not want to for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think we need to be, we need to be supportive of our kids and we need to pick them up when they've been, when they're down, we need to encourage them. We need to support them in that, in that respect. But I do think there's a moment where we have to advocate for our kids, for these eighth graders who are making these massive decisions. And 
One of the things that I've really appreciated about your podcast and one of the things I really appreciate about the history of St. Louis soccer, when you're talking Pat Noonan, Taylor Twellman, Patrick Schulte, you're talking to all these guys. These were guys that were phenomenal at soccer, but they're also basketball players. They were baseball. They were multi-sport athletes. Well, to your point, they were competitors. Yes. Hated to lose. Right. And so you get to the point here of like, if you as a parent, like you want to maximize the overall experience with your kid prior to them leaving and going wherever at 18, professional, college, nothing at all. Why wouldn't you put their overall experience and happiness and joy at the forefront of it? And if your kid is good enough, I know this is like the biggest, if your kid is good enough in many ways and that with the social media and the film that we have and that like that they'll find you like they will find a freaking way and all you have to say is yeah i got dropped a team because i want to play basketball most college coaches are actually really knowledgeable they're good people they understand the dynamics that the families are going under and i'm just worried as a dad like my kid i could not afford for all three of my kids to be be playing high level ecnl i we simply could not afford it as our family and I think it's just going to continue to move down that path. And I do think we're fighting for high school sports a little bit in the respect from just pure financial like investment in Wait, this. But what kind of responsibility does the high school institutions, yeah. the, 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 the machine itself, there needs to be some self-reflection there. Without question. Uh, Without question. Misha in particular, yeah. ADs locally, because if you if you really want to to your point, what you just said kind of spurred this thought. Uh, good good kids are always going to be found. Yeah. But when but. you put good kids next to better kids, next to the next best kid, yeah. that makes it even easier. In high schools and conferences and districts and classes, they kind of screw that up. Yeah. Shouldn't high schools maybe, if they really want to you know, take the gloves off and go to, go to battle yeah. with these clubs and with U.S. soccer as a right. whole? Shift it up. For example, like no. on the boys' side, the Champions League. Yeah, you know, I I love that idea. Yeah, and that's why. And I think you find a group of coaches, Greg Cole, you know, Kohler. Um, you know, you're talking Dave Ehrenberg. You're talking Taylor Mickler. You're talking Mike Vane. You're talking about the elite leaders in high school soccer. Chris Kenny. They're coming together to try to, to your point, to put it on a platform. I do think that Misha and I think all the National High School Federation, this is an attack that right now is on soccer or whatnot. It's going to show up on baseball. It's going to show up in volleyball. It's oh, going it's to already show coming up in, down the pipe. Right. We were talking about this earlier. And I just think that they are, everyone's going to have to really rethink about what is the model going forward because it literally is going to be if you play sports in America here in 10 to 20 years, you are upper, upper middle class. It's the only way that this model is going to continue but, to work. But isn't it funny that f- football and basketball in particular... <laughs> A uh, taped up ball of socks. like Well, football and basketball in particular being the most valuable yeah. professional sports leagues in totality in the yeah. world yeah. are fully funded from a body count standpoint from the most impoverished areas in our nation. That irony, like on the I, soccer side, right? There's a reason Brazil and Argentina and, and, and a lot of other like uh, you know sec, quote second world nations, right? They're pumping out the best players in the world right. that are coming from slums, literally from ghettos and slums. Right. And in America, 
the same thing is happening on our two biggest sports. Without question. So, But yet, soccer in America is attempting to get it right from Wildwood? <laughs> well, and you see, to your point, and I'm not here to talk socioeconomical, but just pure, oh, uh, diversi- look, pure diversity on the There's no field. time limit on this thing. No. We can keep getting... <laughs> no. But, like, you see what an East Kansas City high school does. You know what I mean? And yeah. they can come over, and, I, I mean, they're just absolutely dominant on the field. And I think you're absolutely right, is we are now promoting a model that is rewarding... You know, the funny thing about the East Kansas City team is is that Kansas City in particular, they, they you know, the, their MLS Next landscape is SKC, which is predominantly recruiting from other markets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they don't they so, don't right. they don't have a Gallagher, they don't have a Lou Fuse. Right. And, and and so you have this inner city public school that came across state and just sorry, Dave. They were good. They were phenomenal. They were, and they, Dave recognized, like, they were just absolutely a class above Ledoux and everything like that. And it's not to take away from Ledoux or all these other schools, but, like, to your point of, I think, where you're trying to go is we are now catering to a, a white, middle-class, suburban they're type, pay, of, yeah, type of they're empire. Paying, they're paying for it. Without question. And college coaches like myself, oh, there's a national recruiting event. We will go down there. Who has flown down to Bradenton, Florida? Who can afford it? Who can do those things? And so that's why I think there is an importance in high school soccer that we can't let it die because those kids at East Kansas City, now all of a sudden, because of the platform that they are being provided, now they are getting looked at. Those coaches, the film, everything that goes there. And to your point, is like we are about to price ourselves out of this and parents still have the power to say no. And I, I just don't. Well, I, so, and, I, and I get as a so, parent, you're so hearing I, these things. I but. personally walk a fine line. Uh, not, not in regards to who I'm answering to or, or talking to after the fact, but me personally, my own opinions sway yeah. over this cent- center line. And the thing is, like, I'm, I'm piecing together what you said I completely agree with. If you have a quality player within a market that has eyeballs, that quality player is always going to be found. On the other side of the equation, you have unlimited amount of money from a lot of people yeah. that are oblivious to the reality of little Johnny or Jamie's potential skill, whatever it is. Yeah. For example, you, you know, you use playing on the rails or on the edges, uh, that comp, that competitive right. drive. There's no amount of, uh, suburban wealth <laughs> yeah. that can create that. But yet yeah. suburban wealth and mindsets believe they can buy that. Right. So how do we do, do, do we put the onus on coaches and staffs to be more creative pricks? and innovative? Like, Pr- I, well, I, well, what I mean, like, be direct. Absolutely. Just be like, look, I'm, I, I, I would love to be your friend, but for this next 20 minutes, I'm not your friend. I'm going to tell you the reality about why l- you're little. Absolutely. And, and so part, there's a level of, like, another club in the area, you know, is really kind of you know, no kids play high school, stay here because there's a spring showcase and stuff like that coming up and whatnot. And some of these kids that are making those decisions, they will never play college soccer. Right. Ever, ever. And no one is telling them. And the club coaches are not telling them. They're saying, this is the opportunity. Someone's going to And like, you then are taking away a pretty meaningful experience where they could be a contributor. They could be a part of something special at the high school setting. And that's kind of where my heart lies is these kids 
and parents that just don't know a whole lot better. And so they're like, okay, we'll just keep paying it. We'll keep going for this exposure. Well, they all think it's ROI. Well, right. Yeah. What is the return? And as I have caught myself saying of like, hey, we're not paying for this anymore if you're not going to do, you know, to yeah, my yeah. own children. I'm like, what am I doing, man? Like, what are we doing here? Or, or those that keep that keep tabs and are like, okay, this should be credited off my college tuition expenses. <laughs> it's, it, But like when you pour that level of financial yeah. investment into a sport and your kid there is a natural return that you are hoping to get out of that. And I just think it creates a pretty unhealthy environment for the majority of those kids that will not ever get to play at the platform that they're paying for. I agree. I 100% agree. It's time. I know you got, you, you, you got to spend some family time. I do. I do. Because you're about to load up the <laughs> car. Load up and Sunday. And I don't exactly. I got I, I have yet to find an address that I'm putting in in Milwaukee. So I'm going to be hanging out under an overpass or something like so, that. But. So are you going to be like, you're going to load up the car and you're going to play a little with or without you and start crying <laughs> and drive away? It'll be a Tom Petty time to move on <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> well, hey, man, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're on a little bit of a crunch. Yeah, I appreciate and, it. Uh, I took a swing trying to bring you in and we uh, scored it. So, hey, best of luck at Marquette. Please stay in touch. Let's Will do. Let's keep this going. Thank you for, uh, all the, for all that you do for soccer in the community. Really appreciate it. No, it's great, man. And uh, yes, we will come up and do a live show on campus Let's when go. you invite us. Let's go. Uh, we'll, we'll put, I tell you what, whenever, uh, if the potential lands and you and Katie happen to be facing <laughs> off, Soccer Dad Pod will be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It should be fun. All right, dude. Best of luck. We'll catch up with you later. Appreciate it. Uh, Mellow Mushroom, thank you for hosting us. I'm going to roll out of here with a little Detroit Rock City in honor of the Lions uh, doing their thing. Please don't disappoint because I have a lot of uh, past and present family that is just living and dying on this next game. So it's on you. Uh, thanks for supporting the show. Uh, like, share, review, follow, all that good stuff. It's free. And like I said earlier in the episode, uh, our egos could use it. We'll see you next time. Soccer Dad Pod.